0: Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 99, Pete. We've made 99 of these now, which is terrifying when you come think about it. Welcome to episode 99 of our podcast, Strangers in the Cinema. I'm one of your co hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co host Pete Wall, and somewhere in the background, I believe Jack Mills is around today as well. Hello, Pete, how are you? Uh,
1: very well, very well, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> 99, incredible. We made it all the way to 99 in whatever amount of years it is. It's all a blur. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, that means we're on the cusp of 100, we're going to do something uh, for episode 100 to distinguish it from the, the pack, and then maybe there'll be some changes forthcoming with the show, but more on that in due course. For today, we've got what we always have, which is a virtual trip through the cinema into your ear bulbs. We start off with the section that we call In the Foyer, where we talk about stuff in the world of film, we'll do that in just a moment, then we get to the popcorn counter, at which point Paul and I are going to review some stuff that we've been watching recently from whenever it might been released. Then we get to Coming Attractions, where we do some sort of preview trailer-style uh, chit-chat about things that we are excited for that haven't actually seen a release yet. We get on to feature reviews. Paul, we've got two of them today, as we often do have. Uh, rather contrasting films. What do we have <laughs> for the clamouring masses today?
0: Uh, so this week we've got feature reviews of um, the new mega blockbuster uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, and we have the mega block not so mega blockbuster uh, the new netflix release uh, extinction so yes two very contrasting films but we'll get to those when we get to those uh, quite excited to talk about one not so excited about the other but yes and then
1: yeah and then after that as as we always do little kappa to the show is just we do a section called credits where we give credit to stuff that we think is good it might not even be film related so strap yourself in for that bit but before we get to any of that excitement we are going to step Confidently into the foyer and open up on a couple of topics that we're interested in right now. Paul, what's happening in film news this week? What has been happening and what have you been interested in? Well,
0: there's there's some Star Wars cast announcements which I will get to, but uh, in 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 very shortly. But before that, I just following on from what we were talking about last week with the James Gunn firing, uh, the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, all of the major cast members have released an open letter. Uh, on across all their social media accounts this week, basically saying uh, that they would very much like him to come back. They don't think he should be blamed for his jokes, and that the court of sort of the court of public opinion isn't really a valid one. So, uh, just to follow up on that, I'll be interested. We haven't had a Disney response as of yet, but we thought we mentioned this last week, didn't we? We thought that if the cast, if all of the cast actually rally behind him, then changes may actually happen. All of the cast have done, uh, including Chris Pratt, that I would say the biggest star of the franchise. So we'll see where that goes. And from my perspective, at least, fingers crossed, he does, this does result in him getting his job back. But um, it's certainly, it's, I think it's the first time we've seen a, a cast and rally behind a director in this way. So whether or not Disney listen is another matter. But there we go. Um, and yes, moving on to the Star Wars casting news. Also something related to Disney, because Disney own everything now. Um, this is the news that the cast for Star Wars episode... 9 has been announced um, it includes uh, interestingly enough uh, Mark Hamill's back I'm assuming as a fo- some kind of forced ghost um, a slight spoiler there if you haven't seen The Last Jedi yet but you should know what happens in that by now if you listen to a film podcast uh, and more interestingly I think perhaps is the announcement that Carrie Fisher is in the cast this time round now they have said they're not going to use a CGI version of her. And according to J.J. Abrams, they found a way to honour her legacy uh, using existing sort of footage that I think was left on the cutting room floor, possibly from The Force Awakens and maybe even The Last Jedi. So, Pete, where do you stand on, on sort of Carrie Fisher coming back in in existing footage, if that makes sense? Well,
1: yeah, I, I, I was informed at some point that she might have died. Yes. So it does seem intriguing yes. that she's coming back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, with all the uh, whiz-bang sort of technology that we've got at our disposal these days, all the powers that B might have, um, I guess they can kind of just do what they want. And, um, you know, I'm I'm all for more Carrie Fisher, I suppose. But, I mean, as long as we're all, you know, we have our heads screwed on, realise that, that it's, you know, some sort of a patchwork of, like you say, sort of old footage or available bits and pieces. I mean, what you hope for is that it doesn't just stick out like, a sore thumb within the the project itself, within the completed product, because that is just a way to um, break the suspension of disbelief. I think as soon as people start overthinking the fact that, you know, this other footage has been sort of stitched in after the fact. So I don't know, man, like it feels as if it might be time to move on. It feels as if there was enough of a sort of tribute play, uh, paid in the last film. And maybe we could sort of move, move on from that, um, Character, but you know, who who am I? I have no influence. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I just hope they do it in the right way. And I think if if they do do it in the right way, I think for me, this needs to be the the layer character being put to rest. I don't think they should try and do it again or digitally. Rebuilder like they did with um, Tarkin in Rogue One, which I hated. Um, so hopefully they don't do that. Hopefully they get it right. Hopefully it honors her, her memory, and it might it could well turn out to be a good thing. But the uh, the jury's out certainly on Star Wars in general at the moment after uh, after Episode Eight. Uh, Pete, what have you got in the foyer this week?
1: so um, yeah what's taking my attention Florence Pugh that people will know as the uh, breakout star of Liam Neeson's film The Commuter I mean uh, the <laughs> film Lady <laughs> Macbeth in which she is fantastic Florence Pugh is the new I don't know whoever this actress was five minutes ago uh, Riley Keogh, I guess uh, when she's getting sort of cast in everything that is worth your interest so check it out uh, Florence Pugh is to be in the new Ari Aster project at currently uh, at the point of recording untitled Ari Aster project this is Ari Aster of course who directed the bone-chilling hereditary that we reviewed just a month or so ago in addition to this she is also cast in a, a series that i believe is possibly in post-production now due for a release in october of this year which is called the little drummer girl and the interesting point with that one is that the director is none other than korean uh auteur, i guess you could say park chanuk that people all know from the uh, old boy trilogy Um, Vengeance Trilogy I should say Uh, the old boy being one of those films Um, in addition to that she's also in the film Fighting With My Family which is directed by Stephen Merchant of course of the British Office fame uh, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson so um, you know Powerful uh, friends in high places, I guess. So, yeah, all kinds of interesting stuff going on with, with Florence Pugh. And, like, she's an actress where it feels very warranted. Oh, and the one I missed out is David McKenzie. Uh, David McKenzie of, like, Starred Up and Hello High Water, the director of those films. Uh, new Project, he's working on also starring... Florence Pugh so yeah I was going to say it seems very earned she seems like an actress of immense ability and I'm excited for all of this stuff I mean Park Chanuk has two features in the pipeline at present but neither of them have any details that are sort of uh, publicly available so you've got to put all your eggs in the basket of this series for now it's a six-part series I believe it's a co-production between the BBC and AMC network Um, AMC of course was the the network that ran Breaking Bad Um, yeah I'm excited I'm excited about Florence uh, Pugh's future and I think all of those things really because they're all sort of filmmakers that, that I'm on board with and I think we as a podcast are So, and we're on board with her too so you know, what, what else do you want? It feels like Christmas. <laughs> Anything else in this section, Paul? Uh,
0: no, I think that's it for me at the moment but yeah, just co-signing your excitement really. Lady. She was superb in Lady Macbeth so more power to her. Really great. It's quite nice to see uh, a star rising when they when they uh, have got the ability and certainly seem to deserve it so more power to her i look forward to those projects uh but that is it for in the foyer this week we'll be back after this brief interval with our popcorn movies
1: So, we are back with the section that Paul has rightfully referred to as popcorn movies. This is where we pop backwards and forwards between Paul and I to review some films that have come out recently, or perhaps long, long ago in the past, but that we've just caught up with in the last seven days. Paul, do you want to go first? Shall I go first? I mean, let's be polite British gentlemen and leave it to each other for the next ten minutes until <laughs> everybody has turned just off. Just be awkward silent. So, I'll jump
0: in. I'll jump in. Thank you, Pete. Much appreciated. Uh, this is the recently released uh, documentary from... I believe quite esteemed photographer Lauren Greenfield, uh, Generation Wealth, which appears to be sort of a follow-up stroke companion piece to her earlier documentary, The Queen of Versailles, about um, a, a rich, a very rich American couple who built a...
1: Which was really
0: good. Yeah, I actually haven't seen The Queen of Versailles, interestingly enough. I'm aware of what it's about because it picks up, bits of Generation Wealth pick that up. So it's basically about the super rich American family who try and make a house to look like the, temp- the palace of Versailles. Is that is that the, the gist of what I'm getting? It doesn't go yeah, well for that... them.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's the inspiration. And that it's going to be the largest domestically owned property in the United States. And they start the project, I think, a year or two before the financial crash, and then run into horrendous issues and have to kind of downsize their entire lives but yeah back to back to this So one. yeah
0: they they do feature there's a small they feature in a small way in Generation Wealth actually you see the aftermath of the the events of that film I think um and basically so this film it looks like initially it's kind of set up it looks like it's going to tackle the the excesses of the the kind of wealthy elite and, and give you a, an expose into their life and maybe get some of them to open up about whether they think greed's good or not um and what we actually get, I'll be honest, Pete, is a bit of a jumbled mess of very indifferent sort of photography projects that Lauren Greenfield's done over the years. Um, kind of not particularly well stitched together in this. Also, not particularly hard hitting exposé of of the of the, the titular generation wealth. And I think that a lot of the the problems that this film has is the fact it, it kind of. It only looks really skin deep, much like it's much like her subjects only look at things skin deep. It doesn't really go into any any depth with them, and she doesn't really challenge their position or anything. It appears that she's been to school with a number of these people, um, so there's kind of an existing connection there anyway. So I don't think she challenges them enough for me. And the other big problem that I have with this is. There are large sections of this film, Pete, which seem to focus on her life and her family, which don't appear to be relevant to the topic at all. And I find her at times almost to be as self-indulgent and full of themselves as some of the other people she interviews, I'll be frank. Uh, there's, There's moments where she's like, her son saying, oh, look, look, mum, you're mad for spending all this time in photography. And then, then there's a whole like, section at the end where she receives a text in her son that's in French. And it's almost like she's put it in to go, look at me, I've got a son that speaks French. Uh, and it, the whole thing seems pretty self-indulgent, to be honest. And I, I, left, I left quite unimpressed in fairness
1: what's sorry can you can you say again what's the name of the director oh, it's lauren greenfield lauren greenfield because it's interesting what you say paul obviously i haven't seen this one as yet and i'm interested in it enough to want to catch up with it at some point but um the the big difference in what you say comparing that with uh, the queen of versailles seems to be that lauren greenfield 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 uh, left herself out of frame in that film so the film was uh, training its attention on purely these sort of um uh you know incredibly moneyed uh, delusional characters uh you know real life characters i suppose whereas what what you've said about the film uh, generation wealth chimes with what i read in the sight and sound write up which was that inexplicably at times the director sort of made the film about herself and to the the detriment of the project as a whole i think
0: yeah absolutely and i, I hadn't read that write up um but Yeah, it just seems bizarre. Like, there's a whole. She she seems to find a really interesting subject, of which there are some in here. And you go, I want to hear more from them. Like, there's one particular guy, I've forgotten his name. It was like a German uh, hedge fund dealer who was on the FBI's most wanted list. And he, just as he appears to show remorse, is like, he's showing remorse. Look, here's my family now. And I'm like, what are you doing in this all the time? And it just seems, it just constantly cuts back to her. And she serves no purpose in this. And then she talks to her own family about whether they're workaholics or not. I'm like, I don't really get why she's done this when she's got so many other interest, interesting subjects she
1: could have spoken to. So no, it was a bit of a miss for me, if I'm honest. Um, Pete, that's what have you got? Well, I can't, I can't promise that I'm going to come back with something incredibly positive because my first review of this week is a film called, what I would say Zoe. Um, I think the film d- decides that we're going to say Zoe for reasons that are beyond me. Uh, this is not the most recent, Perhaps the one before most recent film from director Drake Dramus. No, that's that's wrong. It's the most recent <laughs> film from director Drake Dramus. But my tripping over that is unsurprising because this is a man who is apparently tasked himself with directing the most tedious sci-fi trilogy in <laughs> history. High praise indeed, Pete. <laughs> if the first and third films are anything to go by the first film in this loose trilogy is called Equals I reviewed it on this show it was a dreadful, dreadful waste of Kristen Stewart because you know what we should do Paul with one of the best emerging female <laughs> talents in, in the acting world is her in a film where she's not allowed to show any emotion which is brilliant because it just makes for a really boring narrative what we have here though in Zoe is... um. Ewan McGregor, who God knows has made some terrible films in his time, so it shouldn't be entirely shocking that he's involved. And then, um, well, the ghost of Leia Seydoux. Leia Seydoux at some point made, I don't know, got got drunk with the wrong people and signed on to this thing, I'm not sure. The project, to, to sum this thing up, is like, imagine a sci-fi movie made about the kind of um, Turing test and artificial intelligence by someone who was unaware that the audiences of the world had ever seen like AI or Blade Runner or or X-Machina or any of those movies it's inexplicably lazily written it's incredibly thuddingly dull it's at best yeah a a tedious journey through a load of predictable plot points and at worst incredibly sexist it it tells the story of Ewan McGregor who is like this synthetics scientist who apparently is putting together the most realistic synthetic people in order to provide a sort of um next gen 2.0 version of tinder where you get to hook up with people who have been synthesized to be everything that you need them to be and lo and behold the woman who's working with him becomes his object of or the object of his affection and uh, you know jaws on the floor could be that one or of these people is actually a synthetic as well i mean that's not a thing that we've <laughs> seen anywhere else so we wouldn't have seen that coming at all um at which point yeah it goes about being a sort of Navel gazing you know like a a film about sort of a, a very distinctly male very distinctly sort of juvenile appreciation or lack thereof of romantic love this is the same director I should point out as I slam this guy who is our age by the way and maybe needs to just chill on trying to talk about the human condition for like five or ten years before he's experienced a little bit more of the world but this is the same guy <laughs> who made who made Like Crazy uh, with Felicity Jones oh wow and, okay uh, I really liked yeah I really liked like and uh, the guy whose name is escaping me who passed away uh, Anton,
0: Anton
1: Yelchin Anton Yelchin thank you yeah which you know that was just a love story about two people divided by some hurdles, right? Yeah. That was not badly done, but now this guy seems obsessed with putting everything through the lens of like sci-fi that he doesn't really engage properly with, uh, and and intellectualizing things where he doesn't have the capacity to, I think, present anything that's in any way compelling. It it's streaming on Prime Video now. If you are a masochist or like you're having trouble sleeping. Um, have a go on uh, that one yeah which is called Zoe Paul what's next from you
0: uh, I'm going positive Pete hooray <laughs> uh, I've got uh, Apostasy uh, which is uh, a debut feature film from a filmmaker called Dan I'm going to ruin your name Dan I do apologise Dan Cocotalo I think is his name It's um, a British guy uh, who was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness uh, in Birmingham I believe um, and has now made his feature debut with a film about Jehovah's Witnesses, which is quite interesting in its own right, because I was reading an interview with him somewhere, and there isn't really many films about Jehovah's Witness that I can think of. Pete, is any, do any cross your mind that, that jump out at you? I, I can't really think no, of any. I wasn't any. prepared
1: for this, so right. no, I'm gonna go I'm <laughs> no, going, hard no. no on that one. No, I mean,
0: there's nothing that jumps out at me. So that so that the subject matter is quite interesting in itself. The fact that this guy was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness means he's kind of expertly placed to, uh, to make this film. Um, and what he 's made is actually quite uh, a tragic drama, I would say, but it 's a very effective tragic drama, but it 's a tragic drama nonetheless uh, basically you 've got uh chivon i 've completely ruined her name because i can 't read my notes, which isn 't great uh, so basically you have a yes yeah, so you 've got a family uh, with the matriarchal mother who is a devout uh, jehovah 's witness she has two daughters, one of which is I would say, a lot more into the religion than the other one. Uh, one of her daughters becomes pregnant and gets cast out of the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, the other daughter is anemic uh, and has had a blood transfusion forced upon her when she was one years old by the by uh, the doctors and basically the, the British legal system. Uh, and it goes on from there, really. As you can imagine, it's not necessarily easy watching at all times, but it is. An incredibly self assured debut film from my perspective. Uh, part of the reason for that is there's a lot of quite major events in this film that it would be very easy to, that would normally probably feature front and centre on screen. And what the director does here, he keeps these events off screen, which is quite interesting. And initially I was like, why haven't we seen this happen? And then another event happens, why haven't we seen this happen? And it, there's something about that that just really works and it makes, I think it, it kind of, for me I think I've been thinking about this I think kind of reinforces I think the coldness of the way in which the Jehovah's Witnesses and certainly the Jehovah's Witness characters in this film and the mother look at the actual events that take place that are horrible sort of life changing harrowing events that she just looks at very very coldly and just goes almost just sort of shrugs her shoulders and carries on with her religion so yeah, it's it's a fascinating piece. It's a very very self assured debut, and I'm, I'm not. I don't want to go into too much detail because it will spoil the plot and uh, keep the. You know, you do need to go in kind of cold to the plot on this one. But yeah, seek it out, Pete, if if you can find it somewhere. I think it's streaming on Curzon at the moment, uh, possibly in cinemas, some cinemas somewhere. But seek it out. It's uh yeah very it's good. It's on disc as well. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, seek it's, it out.
1: Yeah, it's available on disc at the moment as well because I've got it in my uh, queue for Cinema Paradiso. A little bit of a plug for them because I'm I'm well and truly on board with Cinema Paradiso. We send out disc. And I think you're on that scheme as well, Paul, right? Um, Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, if not slaughter, then sort of jab lightly at a sacred cow. Um, The second review for Popcorn Movies this week for me is Luca Guadagnino's film, Call Me By Your Name, which currently holds a 93 approval rating on the meta scale um, and uh, 8.0 on the IMDb public vote. Okay, where to start? Um, Everybody seems to absolutely fall over themselves to talk about how ravishingly fantastic, moving and earth-shattering this this movie is. Um, First things first, I'm the realist. No, first things first. uh, Luca Guadagnino, we already knew, is able to present lavish scenery, um, set dressing... Um, exteriors. I mean, if you take one look at any sequence from, like, I Am Love, for example, then this is, you know, beyond dispute. That is present and correct in this thing, which tells a coming of age story about a young guy who's at a summer retreat uh, with his parents and then encounters an American, slightly older young man. Um, th- these two characters, played by Timothy Chalamet, I should say, and uh, Army Hammer, and has uh, a very Fast, strong, uh, intensely burning relationship for the course of the few weeks over the summer. The thing looks beautiful. There are sequences, many sequences, in and around the swimming pool, in the grass, in the fields, uh, in the, the the lap of luxury and wealth in which these people exist. There's lots of sort of ice cream eating and cigarette smoking and market squares that are gorgeous and and yeah, just scenery to die for. So from that standpoint, there's nothing to criticise here uh, whatsoever my thing is and i know i'm swimming against the tides the central relationship here is everything a film like this stands and falls on that that central connection and i felt like it was somewhat dead the connection between timothy chalamet and army hammer's characters and and you know uh, forgive me because because like i say i'm going against what the public have obviously decided but it just it just didn't strike me as the sort of authentic gut puncher of a relationship that I was expecting it to be. I think Timothy Chalamet is clearly, you know, a, a, a wonderful actor who is going to go on to, to blaze a trail. I think Army Hammer has done some very good work. Army Hammer, incidentally, who comes from, you know, Armand Hammer Sr., who died with a wealth accrued a of over $200 million. So there's something about the film that feels very. Uh, uh, like hermetically cold. sealed in, cold. in a, a world very of cloudy.
0: I would agree with you on that
1: uh, well cold cold in a certain sense I mean it's warm and lush in, it, from a cinematic point of view but emotionally I I feel like I see the beat like I see these sequences and some of them I think are, are like thuddingly obvious I mean the the scene with the peach which was building throughout <laughs> um, has a power to it but it's not a particularly nuanced or 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 smart uh, a scene, sequence to play out. I mean, I watched another movie, A Fantastic Woman, recently. I'll talk about it soon. But that had an equally what seemed to be sort of very on-the-nose, very obvious scene in it. But, um, I, yeah, this is all to say the film is good. The emotional connection between the two doesn't work for me. What does work for me, though, Paul Anderson is the speech given by Timothy Chalamet's character's dad yeah, brilliant, towards the yes. end of the film which is just an astonishing piece of writing He he's trying to tell his son how he should cope with heartbreak and I wish I could just sort of print the thing out and put it on my <laughs> wall or something because it, it's stunning the, the actor there is uh, Michael Stuhlbarg I believe and the, the speech itself, I believe, is almost entirely pulled from the source novel. Um, it's worth watching this entire movie for that one monologue. There's going to be other things to enjoy in it, but I think there have been much more interesting uh, straight, gay, or whatever configuration of sexuality relationships depicted on screen. And I think that, dare I say it, Call Me By Your Name is a little bit overrated. Um Does that finish our section, Paul?
0: I think it does. I'm just going to come back at you a little bit. Yeah, do. For a lot, actually, for a lot of what you said, I don't fundamentally disagree. I think one of of the reasons I like this is from a technical standpoint. As you said, it's incredible. Uh, but I would agree that the, the relationship between the two of them is a little bit cold, and actually, the fact they've made these these two these characters sort of super rich and privileged makes them a little bit difficult to relate to in places as well. So yeah, I would I would say over possibly a little bit overrated, technically not overrated, but story wise, yeah, it left me a little cold as well in places. I have well, to say. And
1: and Paul, I'm interested. I mean, do do you feel like I do? I f- the film felt to me unbalanced in terms of characterization because my main issue is with the Army Hammer character because we never really break the surface on this character but earlier on in the film there's a sequence for example where he talks about etymology and he like uh sort of one-ups uh Michael Stuhlbarg's character the the dad in terms of his vast knowledge of etymology and it's fantastic it's a fantastic little look into all of the sort of cogs that are ticking behind the eyes of this guy who's clearly like incredibly gifted but then as the film progresses and the relationship actually starts to bloom he, he feels a little bit dead behind the eyes the army has Character and to me that's incredibly problematic because this thing should like explode with life and instead it seems like yeah you've got one person who's exploding with life which is Timothy Chalamet but I could watch him on his own you know the way that he's kind of got uh, swimming shorts like sliding off his backside gradually as the film progresses <laughs> the way that he does things like sort of ends conversations by rolling into the swimming pool or you know all all types of little flourishes to that character but the the person playing opposite him I just I just didn't buy into that connection. And I think that's, yeah, a big problem.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I thought I bought into the connection. I think my problem is I just thought Army Hammer's character was a prick. <laughs> it's
1: like, yeah, I mean, I, I, of, I'm not necessarily going yeah, to argue yeah. that point either.
0: And I think that's where that's where I struggle with it. I think I, I certainly, I think for want of a, for this, this is going to sound slightly wanky, but I don't really care. Uh, I think I appreciated the film more than I liked it. Uh, and I think that's, that's probably where I stand on and call me by your name. Uh, what have we got next? We've got coming attractions after this, haven't we? We have indeed.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Right, and back we are with Coming Attractions. Pete, as you let me go first on popcorn movies, I'm going to very kindly
1: let you go first on Coming Attractions this week. What an altruistic gentleman you are. (laughs) Um, So, for me this time around, a film that comes out in the UK at least on Friday, August 24th, not long to wait, just a few weeks. This one is called The Escape, and it stars Gemma Arterton, um, as well as Dominic Cooper, who's one of those actors that I can kind of... He's a bit Marmite for me. If... I... Uh, periodically liked and loathed Marmite, so that analogy doesn't really work. Um, but yes, the the film is directed by Dominic Savage. I've heard good things. Sight and Sound gave it a really good write-up. It seems like this kind of kitchen sink drama based around Gemma Arterton trying to escape from a marriage that is, uh, at best, tedious and restrictive, and at worst, just straight-up abusive. Uh, Dominic Husband... Uh, Dominic Husband? Dominic Cooper plays her husband in the movie. But um, yeah, the escape... To me, sounds intriguing. I like Gemma Arterton quite a lot, and I look forward to it because I've only got a short amount of time to wait. August twenty fourth, as I say, is the release of that one. Seventy seven on Metacritic right now. Exciting times. Paul, what have you got? Uh, Dominic Cooper for me isn't Marmite because I love Marmite and I don't like
0: Dominic Cooper. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a film called The Apostle, uh, which is due on Netflix currently on October the twelfth. I'm assuming that's a worldwide release date because Netflix normally do that. Uh, now what's this I hear you say I'm excited about a Netflix film well yes I am but because it's directed by one Mr Gareth Evans who bought us the quite incredible Raid and the Raid 2 so I'm very excited for this it stars Dan Stevens as I believe a man who returns home to find his wife has been held by ransom in a religious cult so I've got a feeling, based, at, based on the fact that this is the from the director of
1: The Raid, that this might be quite violent, Pete. Uh, and Dan Stevens... Da, Dan Stevens and violence. Are, you, you had me at Dan Stevens. And so when you added on violence, that was just icing on the cake.
0: So yeah, very excited for a, a new project from uh, Gareth Evans. Uh, if you are uh, desperate for more Gareth Evans and haven't seen... Is VHS 2 segment, which is incredible. Uh, it's just absolutely nuts. It's just this crazy kind of horror, or the exploitation thing in this Thai temple. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you are eager for more Gareth Evans, check that out. If not, you've only got to wait till October the 12th to see his new film, which is on Netflix.
1: Uh, and I'm out. I'm done. That's it. <laughs> lovely stuff in which case now that we've settled you into your virtual seats through those appetizing trailers we'll be right back in just a moment with our first feature review which will be mission impossible fallout
0: right so mission impossible fallout pete take
1: us through a setup as you do so well yeah, I mean, I am incredibly tired today because um, I got up at 6am, which is e- extremely unusual for me. So if uh, this is more like blathering than an actual setup, then I apologise. Um, yes, so in Mission Impossible Fallout, we are picking up basically from the previous movie, which is uh, Rogue Nation, of course. This one acts as a pretty much a direct sequel to that when we see Rebecca Ferguson returning. Of course, we've got Ethan Hunt, Thomas Cruise returning uh, in, in this one. As well as uh, Ving Rames, who's been throughout the series, Uh, Simon Pegg uh, back on board, and I think it's the first time we've had a returning baddie in this series, which is, of course, uh, Solomon Lane, played by Sean Harris in incredibly menacing (laughs) form. He's a terrifying Uh, man. On board as well, we have uh, the Man of Steel himself, Henry Cavill, who comes on board the IMF team as a sort of um, Angela. Angela Bassett is the CIA boss, I believe. Plays the CIA, CIA like boss. That. Yeah, not, the CIA director. yeah she, she she puts him on this uh, detail to go with the IMF crew on the. Uh, Tale of a group called the Syndicate. The Syndicate plan to unleash at no, one. The, synch-
0: it was the Syndicate. It's now the Apostles at this point, if I remember rightly. Oh, yeah. is
1: it? Okay, all right. Um, the the Apostles are going to release <laughs> uh, three nuclear bombs simultaneously in locations around the world, and they need to be stopped, obviously, because that's not going to work out too well for mankind. Uh, so, Thomas Cruise takes his crew and does lots of running and flying and jumping and stuff like that. There's so much to talk about here, um, that I'm just gonna shut my mouth, play a little clip, and then we'll be right back.
0: I know what you're thinking. Maybe they're not here for you.
1: Maybe they're just here for me. Are you willing to take that chance? You have something I want. Right now, that makes me the only person you can trust to get you out of here alive. I think I'd like to go home.
0: So yeah, so that gives you a, a, a taste of the film, which probably Pete gave you a good taste anyway. When it basically describes, there's lots of running, jumping, flying, shooting, helicopters, Henry Cavill's moustache. Uh, there's a lot going on in this film, um, and I'm gonna come out and say it: what a film we have here, Pete! Like, I mean, it's a it's a series that I've been uh, I've been on and off with since it first started. So I quite enjoyed Mission Impossible One, hated Two, Three was an improvement. When you had Philip Seymour Hoffman as a villain. Four was good. Five not so much. Six, wow just wow, this film, I think for me as a Hollywood blockbuster pretty much has it all uh, Pete, where do, you, where do you stand?
1: Well yeah, the, the, interestingly from from that uh, leading Paul, the one thing I didn't mention in terms of returns, this is uh, Christopher McQuarrie again right, it was Christopher McQuarrie yes. who directed Rogue Nation and, and Back Here and it seems like he and the cruiser have got like a real thing going what characterises for me and what I kept thinking throughout Fallout was that this film is like the culmination of Tom Cruise entire action screen career <laughs> yeah. right so what what you see playing out is a man so possessed by the idea that he wants to first of all one up everybody else but more importantly one up himself in everything that he's previously done so if he's done uh, uh, you know aerial acrobatics before he wants to do that but this time with helicopters but helicopters that are on fire and have missing rotor blades or whatever like it is this game of like watching a, a guy who let's be honest is what the the wrong side of f- 55 now? I think he's 56 years old, Thomas Cruise. Yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, fast becoming a, a, a man of a certain age, but is determined that he is going to set a higher and higher watermark for everybody else in this genre. And my word, like, he goes some, Paul. I mean, as you said, I mean, this has got pretty much everything in the kitchen sink that you might expect from an action movie and if you pay the price of a ticket to go to a film like this, you're so frequently disappointed with maybe poor poor plotting, uh, bad characterization, poor performances you know, like like brain dead stuff. This isn't, you know necessarily an intellectual movie, Paul, but I think it's actually put together quite artfully and I think all of the double cross uh, double double cross, you know uh, sleight of hand bait and switch stuff that goes on here it is pulled off with relatively few obvious plot holes yeah I I agree with you there are yeah
0: yeah and I think there are there are bits that there are bits where the plot genuinely took me by surprise and I was just like oh shit didn't see that coming that happens a few times which is great so I wanted to be surprised sidebar here um or should I say handlebar or relating to a a man with a moustache in this film Pete
1: Henry Cavill's rather good in this film, isn't he? Or is that just me? It, tell me that's no, not I just think me. So. I thought he was good. <laughs> like. I think so, Paul, but like I think I told you, I don't know if I said this on air or not, but like I've come around on Henry Cavill since I learned that he is quite a disciplined practitioner of jujitsu. So okay, now I've enough. got quite a lot of respect <laughs> for him. And like, yeah, going in on the Cavill thing, yes, he's got a, a wonderful moustache and stubble on this one, which incidentally, you know, caused trouble, did it not, with Yes, his, with Justice uh, League. Yeah, with Justice League where I, I believe they said that he would have to get rid of it and that couldn't be done. So it was digitally removed yeah, in the Justice League. very poorly
0: digitally removed in Justice League. You can, you can, it's so obvious they've CGI'd his top lip in the Justice
1: League film. So yeah, but, but, so but it yeah, was yeah,
0: worth but, him keeping it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you're, I think you're right to tip your hat to, to Henry, Henry Cavill here, though, because when you have this initial team up between Tom Cruise, his IMF crew, uh, and Henry Cavill's character, who is, it says here, called August Walker... Uh, when August Walker's on the scene there's a, a fairly early fight sequence in a bathroom where Henry Cavill's physicality is just like it, it incre- like astounding to me it, what you've got in that sequence is like Cavill just like bombing on guys like like, like gut punching straight through fools and then you've got <laughs> Tom Cruise who you know t- takes a good shot and, and seems to be resilient way beyond the ability of a 56 year old man and then you've got this other character who is like the world's greatest martial artist yeah, and they bring this all is together as like balletic sequence of just like beating lumps out of each other in a bathroom and it's really enjoyable and then you bring into that Rebecca Ferguson who has now been given license although months pregnant during filming of, of this movie given license to just bootfuls in the face as well and it like it, it all comes together so nicely I mean there's so many individual scenes that we could talk about and praise obviously we don't want to ruin the movie but I mean is there anything thing aside from the one that I've just described, Paul, that really sticks out for you in terms of, like, a real action high point.
0: Oh, the the helicopter chase towards the end is... It's fantastic, like absolutely fantastic, and it just it just goes, it, it it just starts and then just doesn't let up. And I think I have to say, for me, it's the most it's the most entertained I've been in this. It's the most excited I've been in the cinema this year, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think for me, it's the most ex- continuously exciting action film I've seen since Mad Max: Fury Road. I genuinely thought it was it was that intense throughout, and I just thought just every time every set piece starts and like there is not a dud there. And you're like, oh my god, that was incredible, and then oh my god that's incredible oh my god that's incredible and it it just picks you up and doesn't put you down from start to finish I was never bored the plot twist I I loved the plot twist I loved the cast Simon Pegg didn't annoy me that much which is great Uh, Henry Cavill was good Uh, Tom Cruise is good the stunt work's fantastic and you can tell when they're doing the stunts as well it makes such a difference such a difference there's a bit where he's hanging off the underside of a helicopter and you're like shit he's actually doing that it makes so much difference to the audience when you're watching it but yeah I just think it's it's the culmination of a series that's been with the exception of number two two a series that's been consistently solid uh, but this I think is probably the best yeah of the and bunch. I, I, I think um, it's
1: important as well to say that like at least if we um, encompass number one and number two this series started out as fairly poe-faced and self-serious and what I think the producers of the movie have done a good job with and I suppose those involved in casting have done a good job with is introducing levity like there is actual levity in the movie the Simon Pegg character can yeah. be pretty funny uh, his time, his comedy timing is is you know un- undoubtable. Uh, Ving Rhames has some decent lines in this thing, and he's always a likable guy. But then, in addition, we've got like actual action sequences that are put together with levity and with a bit of humor. There's yeah. a sequence when the White Widow character is first introduced. This is uh, Vanessa Kirby's character, Thank where Kirby, Tom yeah. Cruise is kind of in a room. I think it's uh, like the back of a casino or something like that. Uh, he's in this room, very plush event, and he's got to. Have a conversation with the the white doe Vanessa Kirby's uh, character, and he's also got to make his way out of that room when seemingly everyone else there wants to kill him, and it's put together with (laughs) such great like blocking and sort of like beautifully um, orchestrated. Uh, lines of action sort of intertwining with each other but it's also quite funny and I think it's just so important when you're going to sit there through what is in fact the longest Mission Impossible movie in the entire franchise this one runs like two and a half hours or something like that Uh, you need that you need that. Be- but it feels like about yeah, 90 minutes, does. though, isn't it? Let's be fair. It does. It, does it feels. Feel like about for minutes. the most part, it feels weeful for a movie that's about the impending end of the world and mass terrorism and, and horrors yeah. inflicted on mankind. So and, and terrifying Sean Harris in it. He's yeah, just, he's just, I mean, that's important, too, though, isn't it? I mean, if we had a dud <laughs> villain here, it wouldn't be half as effective. But Sean Harris is, is really, really good. So. Everybody, I think, pretty much brings their A game. I mean, let's give a little bit of love to Wes Bentley. I mean, uh, we forgot about him for years. He had all kinds of problems and here he is. And he's uh, he's some sort of like eco-warrior partner of a character that I'm not going to talk about because I don't want to ruin anything. And I sometimes walked straight into that. I'm going to throw down and say, this is the best ever part six of any series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to do a, a rundown of what all the other best uh, sick films are.
0: The, yeah, we've so we've we've got Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, five, uh, probably Fast and free We should do we should do the top yes. six Part Sixes, six of the best Sixes. That's what we should do. There's a feature, right? There's a feature for
1: another episode. But yeah, uh, yeah, blown away, absolutely blown away by it. Just. Also, Paul, just one thing to tag on the end. It does seem that there's a trend emerging, does there not, in the action film genre at the moment, which is that uh, MakerBot and other companies that manufacture 3D printers are taking a very central position (laughs) within uh, ways to get yourself out of plot. T- t- sticky spots because you can just now print faces yes. or print guns or print all kinds of other things we had a 3D printer in Hotel Artemis we had one <laughs> in Oceans 8 and we've got one uh, here well at least one probably a, a whole number
0: Well, it, I mean it's brilliant for screenwriters isn't it like, how do they it's get incredible. out to 3D
1: print this what
0: yeah, you can do that yeah. now. Yeah, okay, we're well, out 3D done. print
1: it. Or, done. or smash Charlie Day's face in a 3D printer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do what you want. The possibilities are endless. But, yeah, I mean, I think you can gather from what Paul and I are saying that you want to go and see this film and you want to go and see it on the biggest possible screen. Did if you see, it, you in see IMAX, it in IMAX. Did, do did you see it, do it in IMAX? It. I did, um, yeah, I lucky did. You bastard. <laughs> It, it was tremendous. Go again, man. I'd go again. And that's a yeah. testament to, I think, how good it is. It's, like I say, almost two and a half hours of, of action set piece after action set piece. We haven't even mentioned the halo jump thing that he trained for a year to do. I mean, astonishing work, but not only by Tom Cruise himself, but by the cameraman who filmed that thing. But yeah, see it on the biggest screen you possibly can um, and with the best sound system that is available to you, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: To co-sign on that. It's just incredible. I think it'd be very surprised if it's not sitting on my top 10 of the year list I, i
1: really enjoyed it that much i cannot recommend mission impossible fallout highly enough go and see it so another film that paul anderson surely will not be able to recommend highly enough is coming right up after this short break and that will be extinction
0: So yes, back we are uh, with the latest output from Netflix, uh, which is their seemingly it looked like it quite had a big budget from the trailer. I'm not as convinced it had a big budget when we actually sat down in front of the film. But this is Extinction. Uh, this is starring
1: Paul. Paul. Yeah. Paul, I can't, I've got to jump in, but jump not in. only the latest outfli- uh, output from Netflix, the latest output from Ben Young, who directed Hounds of Love. Is it no way? Let that sink in for a second oh, as shit. we get into our review. Yeah. Th- wow,
0: okay, yeah, pick this one up then. So, I'm,
1: I'm literally, I've, I've gone sheet white. So so this one, uh, this one is oh, a wow. word that, that sounds like sheet. Uh, this one is... <laughs> it, it tells the story of a father who has premonitions of the coming uh, end of the world sees visions in the sky. That father is played by Michael Shannon in the film's called take shelter. Oh no, oh no, hold on. Okay. I get you. Oh I no, hold you. on. It's the same plot, but with a different name. This time the father is played by Michael Peña and his wife played by lovely Lizzie Kaplan wasted here. Um, and then a couple of Disney kids who they really, really could have done better with. Um, The point is that nobody will listen to Peña's character when he says that he can see these awful things which are going to befall his family, where they're going to be gunned down from all directions as the sky caves in and is flooded in alien lights. Very quickly into the plotting, we discover that maybe he's not so paranoid as all hell breaks loose and something is invading the series of quite obvious sets but let's say the futurist uh, community in which these people live their lives before we get into just how excited we were as we watched this movie let's hear a little clip wow i don't remember the last time i saw you crash a machine the current split blew up both the systems sleeping okay yeah what better you know it's funny i was, I was... Talking to somebody and they were telling me about this clinic that people go to for, you know, sleeplessness and stress. I could get you the number. <laughs> I, I'm just No, no, it's
0: just a, it's just a little mistake. I'm going to fix it. Sure.
1: That's... Okay. Let me know if you need anything. Okay.
0: Sorry Ben Young directed this peak did you say that? I'm still this this is still sinking in for me. Yeah that is, um, that is correct. Yeah so um that's a, a crushing disappointment. Um yeah I've never I can I can honestly say in the past probably year or two or three or four or five I don't think I've seen anything quite as bland and generic as most of this film, Pete, I have to say. Um, There's a lot been made of a a midpoint twist, which I'm not going to spoil. There is one in there uh, that kind of reignites some interest very, very briefly. But all we really have here is just Michael Peña running down corridors shooting things. And then the midpoint twist comes along, and then it just seems to be Michael Peña running down dark corridors shooting things again. And then the film ends. Uh, Quite frankly, I was just almost bored to tears in this and I'm a sci-fi fan
1: well (laughs) I mean you know let's start with the fact it's so difficult at least for me and I'm interested to hear what you think like it was so difficult for me to buy into this world because as I mentioned before the jump like nothing here looked real Nothing looked real. It just looked like sets, and it looked like green screen, and it looked like actors acting against things that weren't there. I think Michael Peña looked out of his depth. I think Lizzie Kaplan looked miscast, and I think the kids were, like, beyond irritating. Like, that word does not do justice to the the level of sort of whining that we got out, out of them here. And, yes, there might be... A way in which a real acolyte of the the movie would be able to to defend the almost emotionless or lack of uh, emoting on the face of of Michael Peña in this film. But I mean, he's been a lot better. I'm not sure Michael Peña is really a, a top shelf actor anyway he's been a lot better than he is in this.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I just think he, he looked a little bit lost, to be honest, and possibly even a little bit bored with what was going on around him. Uh, he's a very funny actor. Uh, I like him a lot in comedy roles. Uh, I've not seen him in, in a sort of a straight role for a while. Uh, but yeah, he's not great in this. And I think he does... He does need to show... He, you can't blame it all on the script. He does He does seem a little bit out of his depth. I mean, the, the material is, he's got to work with isn't the best. Lizzie Kaplan doesn't really have much to do, but again, has been better than she is here. And yeah, a cone sign on the kids. I just think what are they doing? I mean there was I, I just don't understand what the thought process was when they made this. Just Are they trying to just make the most generic flat film they possibly can? Almost feels like it was just made intentionally
1: badly It's in like places. a load just, of as you borrowed say, like, elements just yeah. thrown thrown together on, on a very seemingly limited budget and like I mentioned at the beginning Paul, that the movie Take Shelter because it's impossible not to watch the opening act of this thing and not think that it's yeah. entirely lifted from that film but the great strength of yeah. <laughs> that film is all of the build-up and all of the paranoia and the uncertainty and let's be honest michael shannon being a better actor than uh than uh michael peña is here but th- this film to me almost inexplicably like shoots its load so early
0: yeah you know, like, yeah you've got this whole thing like oh no one believes me no one believes me blah, blah, blah. and then within about 10 minutes like and things are raining down from the sky shit's blowing up and it's like you were right and it's like what and I think they because you've got they said this I think they put so much stock in that mid in that midpoint twist which just is kind of cool but the film is not exciting enough to make you care about what happens at the end I think they put so much stock into that twist midway through you know the twist I'm referring mm-hmm. to that I think they kind of thought that would be the big payoff for people when actually what they should have done is if they're going to take ideas from Jake and then at least have this payoff come much later on in the film because the way the trailer made the film look is that probably for the first three quarters you're going to have michael peña doubting his sanity basically and then yeah they just didn't do it and that that would have at least stretched him as an actor and given his character something to do uh but yeah just it just doesn't do it um yeah, just I can't. I'm just can't believe this was directed by the same
1: man that made <laughs> hands of Love. Even up. Just, even Luke Cage like. can't save this movie because of course Mike Coulter's in there um, as hulking as ever. Um, yeah, what to say, man? Like, what? I don't know what is redeeming about this because, like you said, it's it, apart aside from being poorly acted and poorly conceived and derivative and second hand it's tedious it's a te- it like in tedious. the disc- it's
0: one of the most tedious films the, the description I'm
1: looking at here Paul it must be a typo because it calls this a sci-fi thriller there's nothing thrilling here nothing thrilling to, to latch onto whatsoever and
0: no and as I said earlier so you've got all the set pieces are the same as you said nothing looks really yeah I just can't I can't normally you I can I would try and find something to go oh this is quite good about this
1: film no
0: no, I, I can't. I really am struggling. Can, it's, can I,
1: I tell you something good about this film, Paul? Yes. Okay, I will. Uh, the, the best thing that I've found, having a little peruse through the IMDb for this movie, is that um, the character of Ray is played by a man whose actual given name is Lex Shrapnel, <laughs> and so I mean, if nothing else, I've learned of the what coolest. What did you think of the uh, what? What did you think aside then.
0: from Lex Shrapnel? The, the the plot twist in the middle. What did you think of that? Because a lot of bits have been said about that. I've read people going, "Oh, it's worth it just for that bit in the middle." You know the it's, twist I'm referring to. I, it. it it must sting too too Paul,
1: it it must sting when your your central pivotal twist has been rejected uh, for any of the seasons of black mirror um, because yeah, <laughs> yeah this yeah. felt this felt like a, the kind of thing that would be a weaker possibly a weaker one hour episode of black mirror if i'm being very generous that that's where we'd be at and i i mean it's a tragedy i mean the the Ben Young connection to, to Hounds of Love, and I think Emma Booth is perhaps the, the name of his collaborator. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, Emma Emma Booth and, and Ben Young here made this movie that we reviewed called Hounds of Love, which is this like grimy uh, backwaters of Australia abduction drama and actual thriller that is the kind of thing that would have you recommending these directors, these filmmakers to everybody that would listen. And then the next project that we see is this kind of glittering turd showing up and floating around on Netflix. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it doesn't do anything Paul to disabuse us of the idea that Netflix is pumping out quite a no, lot of dreck. Uh, hopefully, hopefully past
0: the Apostle, Hope, hoping the Apostle will be a good Gareth Evans on board. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, Yeah, so that's about it. That's definitely it for that film. I don't think I ever want to even consider that that exists ever again. (laughs) We'll never speak of it again. never speak of it again. Uh, That brings us to the end of the show proper, but we do have our credits section next. Can I jump in, Pete, quickly with something that I want? Yeah, man, go ahead. Only this morning on Mubi, in fact, uh, which is a streaming service that we've talked about a bit in the past. Uh, It is technically still a film. It's a short film, which we haven't covered for a while, but I'm going to pay credit to this. Uh, It is uh, a short film called The Hymns of Muscovoy. It is a Russian short film that I said is currently uh, streaming on Movie, I think, for another couple of days. Uh, And basically, what this is, is just... uh, And initially, I did post something about this on Instagram earlier. What this is, is basically some upside-down shots of a Russian town um, uh, directed by Dmitry Venkov. Now, it is just upside-down shots of a Russian town, but shot in such a way that this film... (laughs) Looks absolutely incredible, and it, it, it's hard to describe until you actually watch it. But I would I'd recommend everyone do so because there's something about the way he's done this. It basically everything's upside down. It looks like like you've got these upside down cities suspended in the sky, like suspended over like a blue sea, which is the sky. It just looks beautiful. I haven't seen anything quite like it, full stop, ever. Uh, and it's just it was great, and I, it's it's staggeringly beautiful. I really really liked it, and if you have got movie, check
1: it out. Pete, what have you got? Yeah, it, sound, it sounds intriguing and a, a better use of time. You could watch that probably, you know, 30 times instead of watching <laughs> Extinction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um my credit for this week, or my little recommendation, is going to be a piece and a podcast episode uh, from a guy called Baratunde Thurston. The podcast episode, if you prefer to just you know consume things through your ears like this here podcast, is called uh, Playback. It's hosted by Manu Samarodi, who has another podcast called Note to Self that you might be aware of. But the the thing itself. Uh, Baratunde Thurston wrote this piece for Medium the online magazine which is called How to Do a Data Detox in a Zillion Easy Steps and his intention was to have a go as a guy who's very in the media kind of bubble um, I think he's about 40 years old and he's been involved in all kinds of publications including huge platforms like The Onion and, and Medium of course Yeah, uh, he wanted to cleave away from the grasp of you know the social media behemoths of of the world, the, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and all that stuff, but specifically because he was becoming more and more concerned about the amount of data mining that we're all becoming you know, increasingly aware of yeah. goes on and the way in which your data is maybe mishandled or just used for, for profit. It's a really interesting piece. It's also a really interesting podcast where he goes through his main points. Um, and um, it, it just kind of shows you that... Detoxing from all of these things that we rely on all the time is both, at least from uh, Thurston's point of view, uh, it's both like an individual pursuit that will make you feel better about the way you're engaging with media and the way that you're engaging with the sort of like online tools that you use. But it's also something of a civic responsibility that we have to turn the tide in whatever small incremental way we can, away from a future that could be incredibly, incredibly scary. So, yeah, um, I recommend that one. And as I say, the podcast, you can find that on, it's called Playback, or you can find the article on medium.com. Check it out and stuff, yeah? Um, Paul, anything else? no that's pretty much it but if you do do a digital detox obviously avoid
0: the straight, the social media homes of this very podcast because we don't need to be part of a digital detox at all uh, we're not mining your data also yeah. we, don't, <laughs> we don't
1: care about your data yeah you we've got no
0: interest in your data at all so uh, yeah so in the meantime we that is pretty much it for this week we'll be back next week with certainly a feature review of Ant-Man and the Wasp the latest one from the Behemoth is Marvel uh, in the meantime you can find us on Twitter at Stranger Cinema Instagram Stranger Cinema Facebook Stranger Cinema and just consider keep saying the word strange in the cinema if you put that into Google you'll find us somewhere uh,
1: that's about it from me Pete uh, anything from you sir yes yes sir there is something from me which is that next week's episode will be episode 100 of this little train that could I think I think I've, I think all we need all we're going to do basically is going to be the same episode we're just open with a party popper going <laughs> Yeah, out that's it that's it, it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so That'd yeah brace it, yeah. yourself for that until then uh, this has been strange in the cinema see you next time goodbye shut up and sit down We'll